Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. news like the Dow topped 30,000 for the first time yesterday. Um, But really, you all seem to be very interested this morning in answering my, please let me know what your favorite Thanksgiving side is. And so the text line is is jam-packed, and I feel obligated to read some of these. So if you're just joining us, we are sharing with one another our favorite Thanksgiving sides, that thing without which it wouldn't be Thanksgiving. Suddenly, we have a flurry of votes for pie. Pie didn't even make it in the first 45 minutes of the conversation, but here we are. Uh, lots of votes now for pie, pecan pie, um, uh, pumpkin pie. There was a person who said pecan, pumpkin, sweet potato pie, and I said, is that one pie or are those three pies? And they laughed and said, well, those are three pies. And I said, well, I asked because there is also something this year uh, with which I was not familiar prior to 2020, and that is the Thanksgiving pie cakin. Are you familiar with the pie cakin? It is a layer of pecan pie and then a layer of buttercream frosting. And then you put a, 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 a pie crust and then a pumpkin pie and then another layer of buttercream frosting. On top of that, a spice cake. And on top of that, what would go inside an apple pie if the apple pie weren't just the top of the cake. So that is apparently the Thanksgiving pie cakin. And I might need to hear from someone who is making one of those and see if you're in sugar shock after that. Um, we have had lots of votes for varieties of stuffing recipes, whatever mom's hot dish is at your house. Also votes for uh, mac and cheese. We have some rice-based dishes now on the list. We have uh, a recipe for homemade eggnog. That has now made the list. Um, one friend here who just talks about mushrooms being a side dish that's important to them. Um Let's see. Oh, green bean casserole. Still lots of votes for green bean casserole and all kinds of um, uh, all kinds of varieties of recipes uh, related to sweet potatoes. And let me just say you all eat your sweet potatoes in a variety of ways. And so I'm not going to read the whole list, but some of you are anti marshmallow. Some of you are pro pecan. Some of you are roasting your sweet potatoes. Others are mashing them and others are putting them into casseroles of various and sundry kinds. Collard greens, butter beans. Yeah, clearly that person is from the South. Um, This person says, well, if there's not a cup of coffee with the pie, it's really missing the point. I would also add to that homemade whipped cream on and on and on. Let's see. Um, Oh, somebody now giving me their um, giving me their recipe on the text line. Again, you can text me at 877-933-2484. We are taking a very formal survey this morning of Mornings with Carmen Carmen listeners as to what is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish. Um, And, oh, lots of people telling me I have not been pronouncing lefsay, lefsay. Do I have it correct now, Paul, Bryce? I think it's it's still lefsay. 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 Okay, so so those of you telling me to pronounce it lefsay, you're wrong. 
All right. Well, there you go. Get your de- Have a debate with Paul and Bryce, not with me. I don't know. It's Norwegian. It's delicious. Here you go. It's mixed with flour, butter, mashed potatoes, salt, rolled in what looks like a very moist, flat pancake. Spread butter on it, sprinkle sugar, and roll it up. That is from Nancy. And she says, oh, and it's grilled slightly on each side before spreading on the butter and the sugar. It's delicious, warm, or cold. Okay, let me just say, you can actually, this is the southern cheater version of this that maybe you guys are not familiar with. You take a really high-quality flour tortilla, and you heat it up on your stovetop until it's toasty on both sides, and it gets the air pockets in the middle. And then you put butter and sugar on that, and I don't know. That's probably going to compete with your homemade versions. All right, Uh, baked, uh, baked butternut squash. With plenty of butter and salt, says Jim from Simsbury, Connecticut. Thank you, Jim. I wondered when you were going to weigh in. We know you're out there. Um, oh, oh, and now, see, we've got discrimination concerns, reverse discrimination. Yeah, no, we're not discriminating against you no matter what you're eating on Thanksgiving. Uh, a person here says banana bread. Wow, really? Banana bread baked in a can, and so it's crustless except for the end. See, some of you very, very specific <laughs> about the things that you're having on Thanksgiving. All right, I love it. Keep keep them rolling in. I really appreciate it. We've got Bill English waiting in the wings from bibleandbusiness.com. All right, Bill English joining me from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, I got to wrap up one little item of business, um, and that is to say to to Joanne, um, I would come to your house if you're making scalloped corn casserole pretty much any day. Okay, there you go. That's that's what I got. Okay, Um, Bill. Hey, welcome back. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good to be back. Okay, I'm not going to ask you any cooking questions. I'm going to ask you an eating question. (laughs) What is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish? It is the green bean casserole with the, the green mushroom stuff mm-hmm. and the or the onion stuff on top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. I love All it. All right. Creamed. Uh, uh, we have somebody weighing in with a new item, creamed pearl onions. I'm telling you, people are eating all kinds of things. There's somebody having something that um, I don't even know quite how to describe. Um, and so I'm just telling you, like, people have all kinds of stuff, and I love it. I love how unique it is. Ingrid has a recipe that includes items that I don't know how to pronounce, but Ingrid, it sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. Okay. Um, So so here's what I want to know. After we Mm -hmm. eat all this food, what's the Mm -hmm. exercise regimen to burn Mm -hmm. off all the calories that we're going to eat on Thursday? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to walk to Minnesota when I come in a couple of weeks for our uh, winter share. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is probably what is going to be necessary. I, people are actually requesting the recipe for the Thanksgiving pie cake. And no one was dissuaded by my description of this uh, four layered um, sugar fiesta. Like I figured if I told them it has four layers of buttercream frosting, nobody would want the recipe and everybody does. So there you go. Oh. How can not a very you good not, judge. not like buttercream frosting? That's just a, that's a hit, no matter what you put it on. There you go. You, you can't even put it on the green bean casserole. And it probably <laughs> would be a hit. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, let's have right. let's pivot. Uh, you and I are going All to right. have uh, we're we're going to talk about serious things. <clears throat> okay. So 
I mean, well, it is serious, right? We're going to have all of this vacant commercial space. I don't know about your community, but in mine, there are already lots of vacant commercial spaces um, on Main Street and then um, big box stores that have gone um, out of business. We have an entire empty mall now that, you know, things have sort of moved back to sort of the old style where the mall is all outward facing. And so we have an inward facing mall. That's commercial space. that's completely empty. Talk with us about um, maybe some ideas and thoughts related to empty commercial space. Well, first of all, it's going to have to get repurposed. You're not just going to go in and tear it down. The landlords can't afford to do that. And why would they want to in the first place? Uh, so, uh, what, what can you do with empty commercial space? Well, you can put churches in it. You can put community centers in it, repurpose it for residential facilities, maybe for the aging population. We do have a huge bump in the aging population. And so, uh, doing something for them might make some sense. Turn it into condos, whether those are business condos, ironically, smaller businesses are, some of them are really liking the idea of buying a small condo for their business and their offices as opposed to renting. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, affordable housing. Uh, the estimates that I read last night in prepping for this was uh, there's roughly 7.2 million new affordable housing units are needed to house somewhere between 20 and 30 million people who need affordable housing. So maybe that would be an option. Uh, and you know, you know what Amazon is doing is they're they're taking the old J.C. Penney's, and uh, I want to say Kmart's, but they've been out of business forever. Uh, but those kinds of larger spaces, and they're turning it into into distribution and warehouse centers. Wow. Well, see, that's a good repurpose, and that seems like it won't take a ton of retrofitting because I know that's one of your concerns: the amount of the amount of time and even um, uh, time and money, but then also regulations that would. Uh, that would need to be addressed in retrofitting some uh, uh, some of this. What I'm trying to provoke people to do is think creatively. Um, sure. If there's really, you know, 7.2 million new affordable housing units needed across the country, and then we're going to talk about um, the next topic, which is eviction. I mean, we're looking at potentially 30 to 40, uh, do I have that number right? 30 to 40 million displaced yes. people yes. Um, yes. facing eviction in the coming right months. So, so when we talk about affordable housing, we're not just talking about affordable housing that's needed in addition to what's available now. We're talking about the displacement of th- some 30 to 40 million Americans, many of whom will be children um, in the coming months. That is something that the church needs to step up to. We need to think creatively um, and we need to engage now. So I'm going to talk next with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com about the coming wave of evictions, and actually they've already begun. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bill, one listener has a recommendation for the exercise program that should follow, and that should be that you should clean it up. Oh, that's. <laughs> but don't we use a dishwasher? I mean, you know, most of us have dishwashers in our homes, right? Okay, you, know? you do realize that prior to the going into the dishwasher, that's the appliance. There is a dishwasher person, like right. You still have to like clear them off the tables, put the remnants in the trash or the recycle or the compost thing, um, uh, and then actually rinse the dish before you put it in the dishwasher. The dishwasher does not do all of that work. There is exercise in in the rest of it. 
I'm just saying. I understand. But I look, in, in all honesty, I've, you know, since mid-June, I have lost uh, 30 pounds. <gasps> Congratulations. And, That's amazing. And it is. And, and uh, I'm really kind of scared about the coming holidays because I don't want to put back on even one pound. Hmm. And so I have, and with the gyms being closed now, I have, I've had to retrofit, so to speak, a, my exercise regimen to go from weight training to resistance training and to go, f go to different ways to get my heart rate up for my 30 to 45 minutes every day. And so uh, in all honesty, I, I think there's, there's real danger here for people to uh, continue to put on weight when they when they really don't need to, so just mm -hmm. love love the food, enjoy it, do all the recipes, but moderation, right? Just so. do the recipes, but maybe not make the dishes. Um, that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, have, have somebody go. else do the dishes. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about evictions. Um, yeah, the yeah. CDC's moratorium um, on evictions has been in place now for several months, but you you tell me it's actually been pretty ineffective. It has. It was filled with holes. And I honestly don't know how much authority the CDC has to tell landlords who they can and cannot evict mm. legally. Uh, maybe a lawyer would know that, but it just seems to me that that's outside the swim lane for the CDC. Uh, but right now, thousands are losing their homes. The Aspen Institute of Financial Security estimates between 30 and 40 million could face eviction in the coming months if uh, the government doesn't step in and and give us at least uh, give them at least 100 billion in emergency rental assistance uh, and then there's uh, it, it was interesting uh, the the low-income housing um, people uh, they had a state-by-state -state piece and I noticed that in Minnesota 30 million uh, has been uh, allocated by the state for housing and rental assistance, 21,000 applications for that, uh, requesting a combined $51.9 million. So the need here in Minnesota is almost double what the state has, uh, has allocated. Iowa has 54 organizations. I know we have a number of listeners in Iowa. 54 organizations have signed a joint letter to Governor Kim Reynolds asking for $480 million in emergency funding. And uh, I know we have listeners in Connecticut, too, right? New Haven, Connecticut, they have 800000 of rental assistance uh, that has been approved over two months ago and yet has yet to be distributed uh, within their city. So uh, different local governments, whether state or local, they, they are recognizing this problem. They're trying to address it in different ways. And it just seems to me that, that the need is going to be really, really strong uh, in Q1 and Q2 of next year. This number um, troubled me when you sent it to me. Uh, 20 to 25 percent of all Americans um, have little or no confidence in their ability to make next month's rent payment. Yeah. Can you that's, imagine? With that that's stress? pretty staggering. Next month. That's, they don't know how they're making next month's rent payment. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it, I don't want to be glib when I say that's an opportunity to depend on the Lord. Because there's a lot of stress and there's a lot mm -hmm. of thought cycles, you know, a lot of mind cycles that go on saying, man, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to get the money? And it's not like, you know, you get the money, you make the payment. Okay, whew, I can rest because that, that just stays with you because, you know, in another 30 days, you're going to have the same problem again. And uh, this is this is a real, real problem. And this is all a result of the pandemic. This isn't something that people are flaking out on. It's not like they're, mm -hmm. 
they're they're being irresponsible. This is a result of the pandemic, and 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 as conservative as I am in my politics, I really believe that this is a time for the government to step up and help these folks. This isn't through no fault of their own, uh, and it's through no fault of anybody. And and either way, if they don't make their payments, they get evicted. They're still going to need public assistance. The landlords are going to get out of. They're going to get sideways with the banks. The banks' ratios are going to uh, go out of whack, and the and the Federal Reserve is going to have to step in. So either way, the public is going to have to pay for this, uh, in some form or fashion. Seems to me that helping these people up front is probably the less expensive and the more um, uh, compassionate way to deal with this. Yeah, intervening intervening in advance. My guess is yes. that there are ways to discover in your community. Um, who who are the people who, um, you know, need help? They need help this month or they need help next month. Um, maybe we could have that conversation. We need to be having that conversation. Maybe there is a way for us as Christians in our local communities to quietly um, enter into those conversations. Um, I would think that our pastors know of some people who are in need, and I'm wondering how we as the community of believers um you know, could take care not only of one another, but of of our neighbors who do not know the Lord. Like I'm thinking here about the way, um, uh, what's the ministry that pays the um, pays the health care bills? Um, the outstanding that debt relief. Um, I, mm, I, I don't. It'll know. come to me. It's pretty it amazing. And oh, rip. Uh, um, RIP medical debt, RIP medical debt, and they they pay off people's medical debt. Like is which is one of the real. Um, you know, economic drivers uh, in terms of bankruptcy in this country. Maybe we could imagine um, coming alongside people who need rent assistance in a similar way. Um, there is there is a crisis coming, and it's not just a housing crisis. It's going to be a crisis um, for our foster care system. It's going to be a crisis for child protective services. If 30 to 40 million Americans are facing eviction, which is homelessness, in the coming weeks, that's going to be an extraordinary number of children. And then the state intervenes in different ways. So just really let's intervene early um, and do what we can as Christian brothers and sisters to alleviate this crisis before it comes. And, you know, I, I know we're short on time here. Uh, the spot's almost up. But can I connect another dot here for you, please? Yeah. Um, most churches, uh, I have learned in the last few weeks, find that between their regular attenders and members, usually it's somewhere between 30 to 50% of those people never give to the church. Hmm. They never write one check in the course of a 12-month period to their church. And uh, if we just had people who regularly attend church, I'm, and I define that as two or more times a month, just regularly attending, um, actually write the checks that God asks us to write, to support the church, we could help. Um, we could help these people in real significant ways. But a lot of churches are cash strapped. I think in part because people are not tithing; they are not generous towards God. And this is a real hard issue that that we that is, in my mind, connected to these kinds of social issues. Yeah, amen. Hard issues are social issues, or social issues do emerge from hard issues. I think there's no question about that. Um, Bill English, yeah. thank you, as always, so much. Happy Thanksgiving. 
happy Thanksgiving to you. Have a great time and uh, and exercise well, Carmen. Exactly, exactly. Amen. <laughs> All right, friends, you can find Bill at, Bi- at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right, continue to text me your favorite Thanksgiving side dishes. Thank you to all of you. And um, I'm encouraged to know the other things that you guys are busy doing while you're listening. Jim in Simsbury needs to finish the puzzle that is currently on the dining room table so his wife can set it for Thanksgiving. Yes, Jim, get her done, man, get her done. Uh, We are going to have Dan DeWitt up next. We've got what I am calling uh, the long weekend, Weekend Worldview Reader from theolatte.com. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so what are you doing for Advent? I don't want us to miss the uh, the coming of Advent, the arrival of it this Sunday. And so if you have not done so already, Sign up to join us in our Advent reading. We're going to read through the Gospel of Luke together, uh, and we're going to start, um, you know, we're going to start soon. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up to join us in our Advent reading of the Gospel of Luke. Also encourage you to sign up for the great giveaway. Um, That will be an opportunity for you to participate in very simple acts of kindness, um, and we're going to equip you to do that by sending you Um, some note cards and um, some ways to engage. And so we'd love to have you engage with us in that way. Sign up for the great giveaway at MyFaithRadio.com. And then also before the end of the month, go ahead and register for the Blessing Bundle. So there's lots of opportunities at MyFaithRadio.com. I don't want you to miss out on them. Um, So go check it out. We'll be right back. Dan DeWitt joins me next. This is Max Lakato. As God's story becomes your story, you will make this wonderful discovery. You will graduate from this life into heaven. According to Ephesians 1.10, Jesus' plan is to gather together in one all things in Christ. So God will reunite your body with your soul and create something unlike anything that you have ever seen, an eternal body. Consider Christ's response to the suffering of a deaf mute. He took him aside from the multitude, the gospel says, and put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up into heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Be open. Jesus looked up into heaven and sighed. A sigh of sadness, a deep breath. It won't be this way for long. Indeed, it won't. This is Max Lucado. now from Cedarville University. You can check out what we're talking about today at theolatte.com. You can also follow Dan on Twitter at Dan DeWitt. Uh, Dan, you and I are going to launch into what I am calling the long weekend worldview reader. You are calling it the Thanksgiving edition. But first, I must ask you the critical question of the day. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side? My favorite side, that is easy. And that is the sweet potato casserole with the brown sugar and nuts that are kind of like crystallized on top. And it's just amazing. I could eat the whole thing. 
All right. So that is um, that is the brulee, the brulee okay. version of the sweet potato yes. casserole, because there is also the the version that has the marshmallows on top. And it doesn't sound like that's the one you have. Uh, you know, the marshmallows are fine, but it's it's what I grew up with, what my mama made that, you, you know, I, you could you could even keep the turkey. Just give me the sweet potato <laughs> brulee. <laughs> So um, mom's hot dish, just it just everybody has their own variety. Um, it could be a stuffing. It could be a hash brown based. It could be uh, sweet potato based. The the mom's hot dish definitely tops the list. Whatever it is that mom made seems yep. to be the the thing. Yeah. Um, OK. Weekend Worldview Reader Thanksgiving edition, or as I am calling it, the long weekend Worldview Reader, um, because I'm, I'm trying to influence you in the future to do long weekend Worldview Readers, um, not just for Thanksgiving. I want, you know, this could be the start of a new tradition. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. What is in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader Long or Thanksgiving Edition? Well, so I've got a lot of stuff to help you think about gratitude. I've got a whole section mm-hmm. of quotes about gratitude. Um, I have a video um, that Family Life put together a few years back that's just really touching. I've got a link to a book on gratitude by Mary Muller. Um, and then some of the articles deal with gratitude as well. So just things to help you think about. Um, first of all, theologically, why is it so important to give thanks? And then also just from a common sense, um, natural revelation, what we could see even for people who aren't believers, recognize there's a powerful effect that being thankful has on your mind, on your brain, and on your well-being. So yeah, that's, right. that's what's there. So there's... Yeah, and so there are several that I would love to talk about, and I know we don't have time to till the depths of each one of these. But let's start with um, the apologetics of gratitude. First of all, I think telling, reminding people what apologetics is, um, and then the specifically, what are the apologetics of gratitude? Yeah, so apologetics is um, not saying you're sorry, and uh, but it's what I've had. Often people will be confused by that. I once had someone ask, send me an email. A student did who was rather upset that we were doing an apologetics conference, and they asked why are Christians always apologizing? And um, you know, I did just explain to her that that word simply means giving an answer. So anytime someone asks you the question, why do you believe that? Whatever comes out of your mouth is apologetics. And so the apologetics of gratitude is what I'm calling the Apostle Paul's sermon in Acts 14. He, and Paul gives this really interesting argument. Paul and Barnabas are traveling through the Mediterranean, and they heal a lame guy, and people immediately start worshiping them. And it, Paul, in his response, tells them that God has left us witnesses, that he's not left himself without witnesses, and the witnesses are the rain— the seasons, the harvest, food, and gladness, that those are, um, those are pointers to the Creator. And I just love that. I don't think that's the kind of argument that a lot of skeptics will hear um, and think, oh, I must be converted now. But there's a power in that argument, the fact that God is sustaining and caring for us, and that these things point us to Him. And that's something I think all of us will be, Christians at least, will be focused on um, in particular, tomorrow, gathered around tables, eating turkey. Yeah, or not gathered around tables, right? So this is going to yeah, be a little right. bit, right? It's going to be a little bit odd. It's going to be a little bit different for people. Um, maybe, uh, maybe give folks some, you know, some ideas. How can I be sure that I sort of capture and express the real meaning of gratitude, a genuine thankfulness, 
even when, you know, circumstances are not what I might hope they would be? Well, you know, even some of the articles that are, are published, one's from Berkeley and other one's from Positive Psychology, so a couple secular articles, recognize that gratitude really cannot be focused on what we don't have. It's that act of stopping and saying, what are, even though there could be a pretty long list of things I wish I had, what are the things I do have for which I'm thankful? And um, so I would encourage everyone um, to at least begin with that. We all can lament together this Thanksgiving as we're, you know, eating a piece of pie, sharing the experience via Zoom <laughs> instead of with a cup of coffee sitting by the fireplace or something, kind of a Norman Rockwell idea of what Thanksgiving would look like. It's going to look very different this year. But if you fixate on what we don't have this year, then it will rob you of all your all your gratitude. So I would say begin by just stopping and saying, what are the real things right now um, that you're thankful for? And that's a great place to, to begin. Um, it's, it's fascinating, again, the secular studies show that people who do that, who focus not on what they don't have, but what on, on what they do have, that that affects their brain, that affects so many things about them. And as Christians, we recognize that that's just the result of living the way God would, would have us to live, to be content with what he's given us and to return thanks to him. So I argue in one of my articles that Thanksgiving really is an interpretive activity. It's looking out at the world and interpreting it. It's not a first-order experience. We eat something and we're thankful for the food. It's a second-order, well, or we eat it and we're full, or we have the pleasure of the taste of the food. Gratitude is really a second-order um, activity. It's where we reflect on that thing that we're thankful for, and Christians are called to do just that, to be thankful for what God's given us and to turn our thoughts to Him. So why Chesterton called gratitude the highest order of thought. Um, I want to do some of the gratitude quotes when we come back from the break. I'm talking with Dan DeWitt. Um, you can find what we're talking about today on the Weekend Worldview Reader, which is at theolatte.com. When we come back, some gratitude quotes. Leading off with this one from G.K. Chesterton, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt, you can find what we're talking about today at Theolatte.com, specifically this week's Weekend Worldview Reader, where Dan has aggregated, among other things, a delightful list of gratitude quotes. Um, there's a whole list there by G.K. Chesterton, who happens to be one of my favorites. And so I'm going to read um, I'm going to read the last one in that list, and then we'll circle back and talk about the first one. So the last one in the G.K. Tre Chesterton list is this one. When we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings at Christmas time. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? Um, and that gets to the um, the list of things that we could be thanking God for that we generally take for granted. And so I want to start there. And then, Dan, let's talk about this one. The worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. Yeah, that that's such a, you know, of course, that's not the kind of thing to say if you want to win friends and influence people <laughs> in the broader secular culture. But I think there's there's something really insightful that Chesterton's pointing out there. If you think about gratitude, it generally can fall into one of two categories. One, 
a sense of purpose. You know, if someone um, hesitates before they take that step into the road, only to realize that there was a vehicle coming from the other direction. Even if you don't believe there's providence, there's a sense of, I, I hesitated for a purpose. There was something kind of guiding my activity that prevented that. And I think in moments like that, that for someone who doesn't believe that there's any kind of purpose in the world, that that could be a bit confusing or minimally that it highlights a curious contradiction in the life of a skeptic that at times often they recognize there seems to be some kind of purpose or providence. The other category would be most of our gratitude is direct directed at persons. And so both of these things really don't have a whole lot of room in a hard materialistic or atheistic worldview. I was listening to the radio spot from Stone Street earlier on your on your radio program, and he was highlighting how most secularists will concede that we don't have any kind of immaterial part of us that houses a will, that we really don't make real decisions. As neuroscientists will often point out, our brains tell us what to do. We don't tell them what to do. Well, if that's true, um, then even the act of giving gratitude isn't our choice. And if we're thankful for what someone has done for us, that doesn't make sense either because they had no choice in the matter. So Chesterton's just saying, you know, when we are thankful, it seems to point to a purpose in the universe and a person behind the universe. And that's controversial. We talked um, just yesterday with Michael Card, and uh, he is he is a gush with wonder at the details of of the life of Christ and the reality of the invitation of Christ that we would enter his heart and not, not, I mean, you know, yes, that he would enter ours, but that we would enter his. And he just, so he's just a gush with wonder. And so the connection of gratitude and wonder, I think is one that I want to encourage people to make more and more. And I saw this uh, quote on your Chesterton list. Um, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And when we have that, like, slack-jawed awe, Mm -hmm. um, that's a grateful heart. Like, that is me in awe of who God is, and then just allowing myself to experience how astonishing that is. Like, I don't need anything else in that moment. Yeah. You know, when Peter says that even angels long to look into the living hope that we have in redemption through Christ, that the angels long to look into that. And often as Christians, we see it and we we yawn. Um, And what we need to do, and it goes back to your question earlier, you know, we could get so focused on what we could have had or what we should have or what, how this year is different. But if we'll stop and reflect on the amazing reality that God the creator of the universe, has that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he calls us his sons and daughters, that we have so much reason, not just for kind of, you know, a, a quick, this is what I'm thankful for, but a deep, heartfelt awe and wonder, um, who are we that God would care for us? Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, um, I'm going to wrap it up there because I have some things at the end of the hour that I need to fill people in on. Um, Thank you so very much, and happy Thanksgiving. 
Thank you for posting the Weekend Worldview Reader in this long form, Thanksgiving edition. <laughs> long Weekend Worldview Reader. I want to invite people to uh, to check it out, theolatte.com. That is like God and coffee, theolatte.com. Dan DeWitt. Um, happy Thanksgiving, brother. Thanks, Carmen. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Thank you. We'll be right back. So I wanted to give you a couple of encouraging ideas here um, as we part ways and celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, one is what I call a nod to Flat Stanley. Do you remember Flat Stanley? He was like a little, he's a little flat picture and people carried him around, took pictures of Flat Stanley all over the place and posted them. Um, flat Stanley turned into a very simple hug strategy during a season of life for my extended family when my nephew Larry um, had leukemia. And he was little, and um, we couldn't necessarily exchange hugs face-to-face. He was obviously, um, his immune system was compromised much of the time. I'll just go ahead and say he's a very, very six-foot-tall strapping uh, junior in high school now who plays football and rugby. So um, he survived, for which we are also very, very grateful. But one of the things I came across in a closet that I was cleaning out recently was a hug that Larry sent me, um, and... Um, it it is so precious. So he laid down on a piece of butcher block paper and his mom, my sister, traced around, you know, this little head and neck and his arms stretched all the way out. Um, and and then, you know, the upper part of his uh, of his of his chest, that was all that fit then. Now he wouldn't hardly be able to get his arms on the paper, I bet. Um, but I still have that Larry hug in my closet. And so here's what I'm I'm considering like or encouraging us to do or to consider doing. Um, What if we what if we just thought creatively about the way we send one another hugs? Um, There's a a set of grandparents who actually sent these like cut out versions of themselves. I saw them featured on Good Morning America recently. Um, So like they had, you know, big pictures of themselves like cut out people. Uh, But that's kind of an expensive way to approach it. You could just do it with a rolled out piece of butcher block paper and lay down on it and have somebody trace around your arms and um, and send a hug to the people that you love. Um, It's it's a great way to do it. Um, And then I saw this um, this fun idea. You just grab a branch from the yard. Doesn't have to be very big. In fact, I'd recommend it not be very big. And you stick it in a vase. Secure it, you know, down there with some marbles or some rocks or whatever to keep it in the in the vase. And then you cut out some leaves with construction paper and put a put a hole punch and some string there and have your family as an activity make a Thanksgiving tree. You can add anything to it that you want. You could write anything that you want on those leaves. Um, for those of you who have verses of scripture or particularly uh, spiritual blessings that you want to hang. But just imagine over the course of time how that little gratitude Thanksgiving tree might grow and blossom um, during this season of Thanksgiving as God brings to mind more and more things that you could add to it. And maybe you live by yourself and you say, well, I don't have a whole family to put Thanksgiving leaves on a tree. Well, that's okay. Uh, Trust me when I tell you, there is an abundance uh, of things for which we can give thanks to God. The spiritual blessings are without number. We get with Christ all things. So even if you are, um, uh, and I don't even want to say even if, if you are a single person, which, you know, I was for the first 42 years of my life, um, you can make your own Thanksgiving tree. And 
it is a way to remind us that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and God is gracious and generous and abundant. He has an abundance mentality. He is generous. In fact, he is utterly self-giving. So in this Thanksgiving, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He withholds nothing from us. In fact, so generous is God, so generous is God, that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We have things for which to give thanks this week, this weekend, this day, this moment. And we have the God, we know the God to whom thanks is owed. So let us give thanks to the Lord our God in this Thanksgiving. And let us be people who are generous of spirit, pouring forth the love of God that we have received into the lives of others. We live in a world that has this like mentality of scarcity um, and hoarding and greed. Let us meet it with a spirit of generosity and thanksgiving and mercy and grace. Let us lead with the very humility with which Christ led. And let us do unto others what we would have them do unto us. You might think of these simplistic biblical ideas, but these are the profound graces of God through his people to the world. Have a great day. God bless and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.